Hello and welcome to the Raptors weekly podcast for the week of Monday, August 6th. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by Sirit. Sirit? How's it going? It's uh, extremely hot in my apartment. Um, Toronto is extremely muggy. Me too. Air conditioning really is something I've realized since here, since living here is just not a thing that you get in apartments. They're just like, no, we're good. Are you in like the second floor of a house or something? No, I'm like uh, the tenth floor of a building. Oh, and why don't wait? Why don't you have? I have air no conditioning idea. Honestly, like just I think it's like it's it's almost like it's a building wide problem. But mm. the hallways are conditioned, so half the time I just have my door open, which feels like highly inadvisable, but also just what I'm kind of left with doing at this point. So that's that's what it's going to be. <laughs> True. Um, all right. Beyond weather talk, I guess. <laughs> basketball, uh, Raptors. is how it goes in August for basketball, just straight to the weather. What, what are you talking about? We have breaking news, which is obviously <laughs> why we did this podcast. Um, the Raptors have signed Greg Monroe. Um, honestly, do you think Greg Monroe will, will even play more than 10 minutes a game? Probably not. Maybe in the regular season, just for the sake of, of keeping players well-rested. There is a front court depth issue, or there was before he was signed, and I can see how on certain nights you might just run with him and you know not necessarily put too much strain on anybody else. But as far as a is he is he worth more than ten minutes? Probably not. And you know, in fairness, he's getting paid accordingly to that. He's got the two point two million dollar vet minimum, I believe. So I mean, it's. It's a signing that happened on August sixth. You know? Yeah. Um. I feel like some people might be optimistic just because they've seen that he's like scored more than ten points a game for seven seasons, which is, I guess, impressive. And I guess he is a is pretty skilled offensive player, I would say. But, um, yeah. I mean, I don't. The thing is, like, the Raptors obviously needed one more big. It was just a choice between, like, do they get, like, an athletic kind of shot-blocking big? And I think they were linked to, like, Christian Wood or whatever. Um, or another big that scores. And I guess they ultimately picked uh, another big that scores. It it kind of seems like, at least if I'm, maybe I'm reading too deeply into this, but it seems like Nick Nurse has a specific affinity for bigs. And Monroe is a lot like JV, who Nick Nurse is also apparently a huge fan of. Yeah, I think Nick sees that there's a lot of utility in in bigs who are skilled offensively, who play the five, and uh, you know, think add a new dynamic, and especially guy guys who can who can pass like Greg mm-hmm. Monroe can. It's probably, in my opinion, I think in in this offense and just just largely in the frame of an NBA team in 2018, that's probably his biggest asset. And I think you know that'll definitely open things up for when he does play. And and at the same time, like the bench. As much as it developed an identity with its defense and its uh, and its rim running last year, could get stagnant offensively in the half court. I think that's definitely something that we saw later on. Yeah. And I think Monroe could just be like a nice, a nice sort of opposite look on the bench for the night when, let's say, Siakam is just like doing too many transition behind the back spin moves and uh, and like you know. He goes one way and the ball goes the other way. So, you know, like, yeah, yeah I, I can't necessarily. Yeah, I think I think I would have I think I would have probably liked to see Bebe back. And I'm not even a big fan of him, but just 
just because he's an alternative look in terms of what the what the rest of the rotation looks like, especially in comparison to JV. But I'm not particularly. I don't feel any which way about this. It's it's not the best move I think they could have made. I think with the way that the NBA is going right now, Monroe wasn't really a guy that was very playable, especially in the playoffs. So maybe you want somebody who can move their feet and do those kinds of things and like give you a little bit more switchability, which is something that's going to be really big for the Raptors this year. But, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, Greg <laughs> adds some things that I think the Raptors are kind of missing. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the playoff thing, that's a really good point because, like, he played, like, less than 10 minutes a game. Wasn't in every single game for Boston, despite the fact that they had some injuries. And, like, I mean, his on his net rating was minus 12, so... It, it it was like he would play 10 minutes and it wouldn't even be good 10 minutes and like his individual stats always look fine but he's just he's just not that good and i think like some raptors fans might have an inflated value of what monroe might bring mm-hmm. just because of that buck series he kind of like gave the business to serge Ibaka for like two or three games before the raptors solve it but like yeah i mean monroe is i mean would you prefer baby over monroe i think so i think so just because you know, his passing is definitely something that he adds, but Bebe is also a good passer. And then if you if you think of it in that sort of vacuum, then, then there isn't really much that Monroe gives that they couldn't have gotten from elsewhere. He's he's pretty redundant with, with uh, JV's skill set, and I always like to have that, the alternate skill set sort of thing that I, that I was talking about a little bit earlier. But that said, if he's just going to be a guy that plays with a bench, I think it's fine because he does provide that for the second unit. Yeah, for sure. This isn't like a, you know, Raptor signed Jared Sollinger and then actually need him to play minutes scenario. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no. It, like, yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, if, if, if he gets hurt and, like, hurt before training camp, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't think it matters that much. I will add, though, like, just because of, the loss of Yak, it probably would have been nice to have somebody who had a had a higher defensive acumen. Yeah, or in Monroe's case, like actually care to play defense because he just doesn't. He doesn't. Care. Yeah, like it's crazy. And I mean, if you if you can't care with Brad Stevens and and that Celtics team where all of your all of your young players like are which who are essentially essentially your peers are giving that much of a crap on defense and you still won't, I just don't think it's something that you're going to ever do. Yeah. That's true. Um, all right. That's honestly as much that really needs to be said about Greg Monroe. Um, yeah, I think even we'd probably just keep repeating the same things over and over again if we kept talking about this, to be honest. Yeah, it's a collective shoulder shrug. All right, let's yeah. um, <laughs> let's talk about the disrespect then from ESPN. No, I'm kidding. ESPN actually um, put out their um, you know win projection totals um, from Kevin Pelton. Uh, they're insider, but I think they've been screen capped, which is very unfortunate that that happens. But, you know, the game's the game. Um, anyway, so the Raptors actually were not disrespected this time. Um, you know, like last year, for example, I think someone came out with like, like 43 wins for the Raptors and obviously they won 59 and it was like this huge thing and the Raptors consistently overachieve the ESPN win projection this year. ESPN has them for 55.1 wins, which is the first in the Eastern conference, even ahead of the Boston Celtics. Um, what do you think caused this change? Um, and also, do you think this is accurate? What do I think caused this change? Was there perhaps a move that the Raptors made that potentially got a lot of attention and gave them a top five player? I think that might have been that might have been the thing that did it. I still, I honestly. But what about Demar? Right. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about Demar. I mean, Demar yeah. was like, um, one of the big reasons why the Raptors were always like undervalued in this one because Demar just wasn't so rated too. well. I think so too. I, yeah. And you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where yeah, the Raptors did tend to underperform. This is one of those rankings where I think it's kind of like the Raptors will actually end up if they end up winning 55 games, end up underperforming their talent, but it probably is a little bit more accurate gauge of what their win total will be when you consider the fact that they are integrating a new coach, probably a new offensive system, or at least building on last year's system. I'm assuming there's going to be more creativity, a little bit more counteraction, and that kind of sounds a little bit uh, a little bit weird to say after uh, after all the reinvention that happened this year, but Nurse is just kind of a guy who really, really gets creative on offense, and that's going to, depending on how far he goes with it, I think it's going to require some buy-in, probably require some time to get all of that buy-in and then to implement the system. Then you're coming off of, you know, you're, tra- you're trading, you traded your best player or your second best player for a new best player, and that's obviously a huge, huge change. It's going to take time to, to integrate Kawhi. He's going to be very rusty, you have to assume, for at least probably the first 20 games of the season or so. You're probably, if you get Kawhi at full strength at any point this season, it's probably not until later on. There might be some unrest, just given the explosive nature of the trade and DeMar's relationship with Kyle and Kyle's relationship with ever being pissed off by anything. So, you know, it's just kind of going to be interesting uh, to see how it all falls together. And I, th- I think I think things will eventually fall into line, you know, as much as there might be uh, there might be a little bit of annoyance here and there and like a, a, a breaking in period. I think at the end of the day, if Kawhi is probably the biggest question mark, and if he's bought in, then I think everybody else will recognize the fact that this is such a big opportunity that they just kind of have to put everything to the side and uh, and try their best to win. But that could that you know I can't, I can't imagine that it won't come without its hiccups. And at the same time, you know, the East is a lot flatter this year. It's kind of I don't I'm not really sure how to how to gauge what the win totals are going to look like, but there's. There's more strength in the playoffs, but I think that there's also a whole lot of teams, even more than usual, to be pounded on in uh, in that nine to to sixteen or fifteen range. And you know, I think you know, consider the fact that the Cavs are probably going to be sneaking into that seventh or eighth seed. That kind of shows you what the strength of of the Eastern Conference is going to look like, as far as just like beating up on teams and getting that high win total. So I think. 55 when you balance all those things probably for I'd probably still hit the over on that but not by too much I'd probably put them about 57 wins for the season that's that's kind of where I see them landing but uh yeah 55 and a half is totally totally fair yeah um well, I mean, you're a hater, obviously. Raptors going to win 65 games this year for sure. No, sorry, sorry, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I, <laughs> I think meant to, I meant to say that the Raptors are going to be the greatest regular season team of all time. Win 74 game games. Uh, Kawhi on the verge of resigning, really, really feeling happy, but then they run into the uh, the LeBronless Cavs oh in the God. first round and are just actually so spooked by the Quicken Loans Arena and and like all the memories 
from there that they've that they you know obviously like to forget about that they fizzle out in the first round and all hell breaks loose and even more people get fired next season than uh, than last. Yeah, I mean that, look, that is what I meant to say. They see Channing Fry, they see Kyle Korver, and it's all over. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I agree with you. I think the the last the podcast that we did last week was with some more optimistic people, and like I think they listed the reasons why if everything works out great, this the Raptors team could easily win sixty games, mm-hmm. just because like look, they won fifty nine last year, they replaced Demar with a better player, and even Jakob Pertl, as compared to Danny Green. I would argue Danny Green's a slight marginal upgrade over next season if we're just comparing, you know, the two players. Obviously, very different positions, but um, yeah, I mean, but I think everything you're here is saying here is also very valid in the sense that, like, yeah, I think it's there's just like, unqu- it's, like it's unquestionable that they're a more talented team than last year. It's just for more sure. so like how these things tend to play out in a regular season. I also think you know after last season we understand how empty some of that stuff is anyway so yeah i mean look like continuity kind of matters until it doesn't mm-hmm. right i think that's sort of been right. like a story for the raptors for a while but like Maybe at least in the regular so season continuity that you like look around you and and it, and it gives you deja vu of how bad you were well before. yeah <laughs> that's part of why you got to change it up you know you can't just roll back the same team and say lebron's gone um but, I mean, yeah, I mean, continuity, I think it is going to be a little bit awkward. Like, when you first step into the locker room, like, there's not going to be... I guess Kyle Lowry can still be that vocal leader, but, I mean, like, uh, Lowry chooses when he wants to do that. He certainly does it a lot, but, um, you know, that's a bit of a issue there. And then, like, obviously, like, DeMar was just, like, stabilizing presence, and, like, everyone mm-hmm. kind of respected the hierarchy. Now there's a new well, guy that's supposed to come in and just, you know, mm-hmm. be the king of everything, even though the fact that he doesn't really say anything... Let's also add, by the way, the fact that Dwayne Casey was a huge stabilizing presence. That's the first NBA coach in Kyle's career that he's had a good, tenable, long-term relationship with. And obviously, they've butted heads. I think think we all know that their relationship was far from perfect. But he was a guy that, you know, could could, kind of get Kyle to to get with the program. And, you know, not many coaches have ever really had success with that with Kyle. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch as well. Um, I mean, first, actually, I wanted to take a sidebar here. Um, so Kyle Lowry didn't answer any questions at um, <laughs> the Las Vegas Team USA thing, and it, it became this whole thing of, like, wow, Kyle Lowry's unhappy, we got to trade him and stuff. Like, you've been in a lot of scrums with bad. Kyle Lowry. Like, can you just yeah. explain, like, sort yeah, of the attitude all, he takes towards some of this stuff? First of all, the full the full interview, like, if you watch the full thing, it actually wasn't that bad. Uh yeah. You know, it wasn't because, like, I think I think the thing that kind of came out after was that, like, that Kyle was kind of saying that you know he hasn't talked to Kawhi, mm. and that's not what he was saying. He was basically refusing to tell us whether or not he had, which is totally just a Kyle move, like a harmless thing that you could just do, but you just won't do because, like, you <laughs> want to antagonize the media, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> just like it's just kind of something he does, and. You know, he often does not have a have much of a reason for it. I, mm. He does it in good times and bad. Uh, the only time he hasn't really done it is when he's been up for a contract extension. So that's just kind of how it is with Kyle. He doesn't really, he doesn't like answering questions in front of a scrum. He avoids it like the plague during the regular season. That's kind of why we saw Fred Van Vliet talking so much more at the end of the season. It's kind of like as soon as he kind of came on as a, as a vocal leader, he just kind of took that mantle and became kind of a symbiotic thing where Fred didn't mind doing it and the media liked talking to Fred because Fred actually, you know, elaborates and answers questions and, like, has no has no problem being that guy. So, you know, it's like if you 
if you've been around Kyle and understand that that's kind of just a tack that he takes, and there's really no rhyme or reason for it at all, and it's just like that's just kind of what he does. The only time we ever get an answer out of him from anything is usually like on Twitter when Woj like probably texts him and is like, "Hey, how do you feel about this?" and like, and Kyle responds to him, or maybe it's Kyle's Kyle's uh, representation responding to him. Who knows? But like that's. That that's that's the only time we ever get a gauge into what Kyle Lowry is really ever feeling. It's probably the most reliable gauge, mm. and uh, at, least, at least in a public uh, in the public sphere. So you know, it's uh, it, it's not the most encouraging thing. That all that said, like I think when with a season like this and with a spot like they're gonna have, I think maybe Kyle will come to realize that his. His behaving that way is going to blow up on a much larger scale than it used to, and maybe that will encourage him to to tone it down. Just because I'm I'm sure that you know I don't know how much that stuff actually played into what he's actually feeling, but I can also assume that he just doesn't want to deal with that level of uh, annoyance and attention that he uh, that he got from it. And I also think he understands from his career the the impact that. Uh, that having a reputation as a guy that isn't uh, isn't the most uh, most affable can have uh, negatively on uh, on your career and your earnings and the way that people in the league perceive you. I think you might just tone it down as the spotlight gets bigger and like these things actually have consequences as, as opposed to right now where like the the media environment with the Raptors has been quite insulated for a long time. It's obviously very Canadian. Like it's Canadian people who are pay- playing att- paying attention. Most of the people that are in that locker room, like obviously I was new last year, but most people who are in that locker room have been there for a while. They understand the ropes, how it works, who to talk to, when to talk to them, and like they also just understand like to that like, you're not really going to get a straight up answer out of Kyle Lowry for most things ever. Mm-hmm. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that translates on a on a national stage and to see whether he reacts to it or not. Yeah, for sure, because I feel like. There is, like, kind of, like, void that if you want to, like, create drama, that, like, yes, Kyle Lowry will sort of help facilitate that by being vague and playing these games. But if you do know the context, like, as you mentioned, like, this is kind of within his regular uh, repertoire. Um, I think um, going back to the win total thing, I think, yeah, I think, look, the ESPN thing, like, obviously, you know, it's sort of been this, like, meme that's... I don't know if it's a meme or if it's serious. I mean, if it really is serious, it's actually really funny that people would be so upset over it. But, like, you know, the Raptors have sort of consistently been um, shorted these wins, and mm-hmm. they sort of consistently outproduce those games. But I think it, it really does tie back to DeMar and sort of the way, like, the fact that DeMar would consistently get rated under guys like Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart. It's sort of the same thing of, like, well, if you take that, if you don't rate DeMar as, like, a really good player, then you probably don't think the Raptors are going to be a really good team. And so mm-hmm. those things went hand-in-hand. Hand. All of a sudden, you take DeMar off the team, and all of a sudden, the Raptors have this great win total. Also, getting Kawhi doesn't doesn't hurt uh, whatsoever. Right. Um, I also – I think it was a little bit interesting that um, – the so the Vegas also put out their over under odds, um, and they put Toronto at fifty four point five, right? So mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same thing fifty five point one forty five uh, fifty four point five. The only the big difference here is that Boston um, was at let me see fifty seven point five as compared to fifty three. Um, so it's kind of a question of like, do you think Boston is better than Toronto, and if so, like what makes them better than the Raptors? Uh yes. They have 
more star power. They have. The they have so many good scores. It's nuts, they, man. <laughs> they have the best defense in the NBA. They have the best coach in the NBA. They ha- or maybe like at least a top three coach in the NBA. Hmm. They have a top five scorer in the league. They have an incredible defensive anger. They have anchor. Sorry, they have one of the best swingmen in the league. Not as good as Kawhi Leonard, and also coming off an injury too. Hmm. They have incredible depth. They have players coming off of seasons where they're kind of bound to improve. I'm really excited to see what Jason Tatum looks like next year, as well as Jalen Brown. They're coming off a great playoff run that I think gave them a more uh, a better sense of identity and purpose and uh, better framework for all of really every player on that team from top to bottom knows their role. They're bringing back Marcus Smart. They're very deep. Do I have to go on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they are very very good. Yeah. I mean, they won. They won 55 games last year with Hayward out for the entire season. And, uh, Kyrie played like 50 something games. Yeah, I mean, they, and you know, like, I think we should, we shouldn't act like they're going to play 82 games. Those are Kyrie Irving, there's a guy that has been injury prone for his, uh, his entire career, really. I think we should price in at least 15 games and miss per season for, Ky- for, uh, for Kyrie Irving. And, and Hayward is going to be coming off of a serious injury, but I do think that these questions about, about Hayward and what he's going to come back like are, they're amplified by the gruesome nature of the injury and the fact that we all witnessed it live on TV. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was just like this very big thing. At the end of the day, it's a break, and a break is much better than a tear. And I think, you know, we've seen time and time again, guys come off fine after after breaks, especially guys that are younger. And uh, and I mean, it seems like you know, I don't want to be like muscle watch, but he mm. was pretty good in his. Uh, his workout videos over the, Yo, over the off season. Shout out Drew Hanlon. This guy is making himself yeah, uh, a lot he, of money really this summer, is. man. I mean, like every Drew single Hanlin guy, it's Drew won Hanlon. The off season. Especially yeah. if Markel Fultz is a jumper next year, man. Drew Hanlon is going to be a millionaire soon. I mean, if he isn't already, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a big year. It's a big year for Drew Hanlon. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, yeah, the thing actually with Boston that scares me the most, I think actually like defensively they might take a little bit of a step back just because like uh, you, yeah, you add another year to Horford and like their front court depth isn't great. Like they're relying a lot on like Tice and even Baines to some degree. Um, and I, I guess I don't know. I'm just envisioning if you put Horford in foul trouble, then okay, then yeah, they are in some yeah. sort of issues there because they don't have a lot of front court depth. But, I mean, like, ultimately, Al Horford is not a defensive liability whatsoever. The, the thing that scares me the most about Boston is just, like, the young guys and how much of a leap they'll take. Like, we saw Jalen Brown year one versus Jalen Brown year two. It's, like, night and day. Like, mm-hmm. he took, like, a bigger jump than even someone like Pascal. Um, and and year three is usually the year. Year three is usually the year. And then also, like, Jason Tatum. Like, man, I, again, sh- shout out Drew Hanlon, apparently. But, like, these videos of him just, like, making these Kobe moves. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, when we saw in the playoffs. I mean, he, he did at the highest level in the playoffs. Um, he dunked on LeBron in mm-hmm. game seven of a fourth, the fourth quarter of a game seven. Um, and the guy looks like young Kevin Durant. He does. Like, he does. It. He, he really does. does. I, 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 re- I, I, it was fun when everyone was calling him Jeff Green 3.0. It was fun when people were saying, was saying, wow, the, the Celtics drafted Tobias Harris with a third pick. And all of a sudden, it's not so funny when they have. No, it's, it's, it's really <sighs> not anymore. Yeah. You know, when, when we start having these debates over whether Gordon Hayward or Jason Tatum is, is the better player, I'm actually really interested in, in seeing what their starting lineup is actually going to look like next season because they okay. can go a lot of different directions with it. Do you think they'll start small? 
and just like put Horford at the five and then three wings and Kyrie? I don't know. Like, I think obviously that's a line that you close with mm-hmm. because I mean, like, I don't really, we don't like really need to go into because, but really they can all shoot and defend and they're incredibly long and they're mismatch, mismatch problems and they're switchable and they're athletic and my God, this team is going to be hard to play in the playoffs, but uh, yeah. you know, it's at the same time, the regular season, maybe you just don't put that wear and tear on guys. And if you are resigning Baines, you might as well just throw him into the starting lineup for the sake of random regular season games when you kind of you kind of know what you are. That's that, mm-hmm. that's kind of the scariest thing about the Celtics. Like they're a young team that knows what they are, so they can spend a great deal of the regular season just doing whatever. They can be rested. They can try different things. They can do developmental things. Try a whole bunch of different lineups. They can lose more games than they're supposed to, and it won't really matter because they've just built such a strong identity there. That's really like the. That's kind of the esoteric thing that scares me mm-hmm. the most, because when you combine that with all this young potential and like also not even potential, like we've got we've got guys in this team that are really really like they are the real deal. So it's just kind of I don't know. It's really scary. There's there's just not a lot of like what can you point out that's like I would love to hear the case against Boston, but I really have hard times. Th- I have a hard time thinking about about the negatives uh i think i think your case i think the case that you're making as far as their defense goes is definitely true especially for for a team that's gonna be coming off of like for, I mean, for a guy that's gonna be coming off an injury like uh, like hayward he's gonna be back in the starting lineup he's gonna be a little bit slower for at least a little while and uh Kyrie had like a nice a nice defensive month when mm-hmm. he uh when he first joined the celtics but i mean he's not you know he he's like he's an average defender i guess you know he's not like a strong defensive player definitely not like to the level of uh of love that he was getting at the start of the season last year uh he's kind of somewhere in between what i think his uh his perception is but he's definitely not like you know a terry or a marcus warner yeah which again i mean (laughs) if you need to bring in guys to match up those are not bad options to bring off the bench um yeah, I, I, like, there is no good argument against Boston, right? Like, even last year, like, it, it, they had those two major injuries and, you know, still went to the Eastern Conference Finals, 55 games or whatever. Um, the front court thing, I think defensively, yeah, they, they might take a little bit of a step back. But, I mean, we've also seen, like... Maybe Jalen Brown just decides consist- to become Draymond Green next year, right? Sorry to cut you exactly. off. Yeah, like, exactly, yeah, like, exactly. That's the thing with young guys. Season, like, right? you just don't know. And they have, like, crazy upside. Like, the, the <laughs> amount of upside the Celtics have is kind of crazy. And, like, I think the Raptors, like, if you just want to compare the two teams, defensively, there's a good case to be made. The Raptors might have a better defense than the Celtics. We still got to see. I, I have no idea what Nick Nurse is as a defensive coach. Mm-hmm. Anytime you hear compliments about Nick Nurse, it's always about on offense. So we got to see that first. But, I mean, if you put it all together, of course. Like, they could have the best defense in the league. It, it, yeah. it really is very nice. But then I just don't think that you can start JV and have a better defense than the Celtics do. That's it's true. Just, I just don't think it's possible. And, and that's, like, that's with all, like, deference to how much JV has, like, managed to improve himself defensively. He's just in space you know, against certain, certain matchups, he's just such a liability. That said, in the specific matchup with uh, with mm. the Celtics, JV is one of the few guys in the league that can really, really give Al Horford headaches. So I was going to say, that'll be really interesting to see. The Raptors have kind of consistently played the Celtics pretty well. Yeah. Um, they've given them trouble over the years. I mean, look, they've been... Suppo- I mean, I guess they've been equivalent in teams over the years, so I guess that makes sense, right? But... Um, you know, we've seen the Raptors shut them down in the past. But, I mean, in a playoff setting, I think the, the Raptors, obviously the Celtics will have a, an upgrade over or an advantage over the, the Raptors. But 
At, at, yeah. at least defensively, like one through four, I think I'm more confident in the Raptors' defensive personnel than the Celtics' personnel. But then when you come down to it, like who can create a shot in Bo- in like in Boston? It's like Kyrie obviously is like one of the one of the greatest shot makers and creators um, in the NBA, if not one. Of, eh, I don't know if he's the greatest, but I mean he's obviously very good. Um, Gordon Hayward can get his own shot. Who knows what what he looks like when he comes back? But I, reasonably confident like he can the, create his own by shot by the end of the season for sure. Yeah. You know? And then, like, Jason Tatum, you could also really create his own shot. So, like, you compare that to the Raptors, like, Kawhi Leonard can create his own shot for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Kyle Lowry can kind of do it. Kind of. But realistically, his best option um, is to play off the ball and, like, randomly sneak up for a, a three or, like, take a random pull-up mm-hmm. transition three. But he's not a consistent scorer where he can, like, carry your offense for five minutes. It just doesn't really happen. He's opportunistic. And so and you compare, like, three shot creators versus one, it's, you know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in that it's kind of become an inverse of Raptors versus Cavs, where the Raptors are now the team that has, like, the probably the undisputed best player in the court. The best player in the Eastern Conference, which is why they, you know, despite everything we might say about Boston, at the end of the day, like, I've just, I have so much faith in the idea that if you have the best player on the court, like, you're just, you just have the edge. Mm-hmm. And against the Celtics, that might not be true, but you have, you have enough going for you that it's a real matchup. Like, it's kind of like, I, I would, I would look at it like 60-40 for, and like, the 60 going to, to the Celtics, yeah. maybe even 65-35, but, uh, you know, it's a real honest-to-God shot, and, uh. It, it, it's it's just kind of interesting how the how the tables have turned in that regard. Like it used to be the Raptors with all these all these guys going up against LeBron James and a bunch of spare parts, and you know yep. the Raptors uh, the Raptors guys are definitely better than spare parts. But it's just it's just the the role reversal in the course of really just like a couple of months and and things and pieces moving around are just a testament to the fact that you know the NBA is really really going to be interesting next year. We're gonna have we're gonna have a season where nothing almost nothing could be the same as uh, as a season before yeah um okay and then the last thing i sorry just completely zoned out there um the last thing i want to talk about uh, before we go to break and, and take some twitter questions um was well actually two of your pieces really um I think the interview that you did with uh, Mahmoud Odua Roof at uh, Big Three was was really good. I think everyone should just go read it. Um, and also at SB Nation, by the way. Um, and also the other piece that you put up, um, which is I guess closer to the Raptors, was about Masai Ujiri and his efforts to um, grow the infrastructure and the game of basketball in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just take us through like sort of the process of like how you spoke to him, like sort of how. The, how enthusiastic he was to sort of share that vision. Um, and also, like, that story he told about it, just the fact that, you know, he was one of those kids. He, like, he sees himself in these, mm-hmm. in, in these kids and um, how much he feels like a personal responsibility to give back. Because I know a lot of people have been calling Masai a snake, and look, it's a snake type of business, but the Masai as a human being, I, th- I don't think really can be questioned in terms of his character. Yeah, the, no question, no question. I mean, Masai as like the, the off-court figure, I think, kind of like highlighted it him, for himself pretty well. And when I was doing, I was doing some reading before I was talking to to him, and there was a 2016 article with with Bruce Arthur where you know he pretty much uh, straight up said that that uh, basketball was always going to be secondary to him. 
in comparison to to giving back to to Afri- Africa to Nigeria where he was born to giving kids who grew up like him not necessarily completely like him he you know in the grand scheme of things grew up fairly middle class in uh, in Africa and had more uh, more opportunities and maybe some of his his peers but just generally growing growing up in a place where you just don't have much upward mobility much hope of of really bettering yourself in a uh, in a serious way and have and being able to to have an impact in uh in the world and on your community the way that uh the way that Masai has and you know he's just somebody who i think because he I, he yeah i don't yeah you know, I, I didn't have too long of a conversation with Masai to be honest you know it was it was a phone conversation and i obviously i tried to hit on as many things as i could but Masai just has always struck me as a guy who has a very, very deep understanding of how different things could have been with him. And I think I think he has an acute awareness of the version of his life where th- things didn't break his way, where, you know, people weren't willing to let him sleep on a couch and weren't willing to vouch for him. And, and, and that version of his life is not the same thing as, as these things that he's accomplished now where he's a high level NBA executive. He, you know, he, he helped open a court with, uh, or community center with, uh, with Barack Obama's sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, has been able to do all these amazing things has uh, met Nelson Mandela has, you know, been like, you know, the best GM in, in Raptors history. And, uh, you know, I think, he he understands the uh, the marginality of of that possibility and how unlikely it all was for him and when you see all the things that he's done i think he gets the fact that somebody that among those kids in those camps there are people with that level of potential and he wants to help as many of them as possible to to achieve that because that's the type of thing that he needed when he was uh, when he was young, and is, when, if, whether that's a matter of hope or opportunity or getting a break, something that he mentioned was, you know, when he was playing, his coach brought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson to to Nigeria, and he got to meet them in this in, in a similar camp-like setting, definitely on a smaller scale, but mm-hmm. kind of like still getting to. To interact with a guy in the NBA who he'd heard of, and like you know, could really have this actual ability to represent a possibility what he could be, right. which is, which is kind of the toughest thing, right? Like I, the thing that I always subscribe to is that role models are are local, at least for most people. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't idolize the the professional athlete that you never see on a, on a screen. Oh, sorry. Rather that you that you only see on a screen. Right. You you idolize the the person that you have more run-ins with, or the person that's a local figure, and whatever whatever heights that person achieves is probably where you max out your own potential in your own mind. At least for most people, there's obviously always going to be people that are that are exceptional in that regard and are just able to envision themselves in, in scenarios. But for the most part, we're not really like that as people. So. You know, I think he understands that, 
And I think to an extent he lived that. So he kind of, you know, he knows what is possible for people if you kind of, if you just open a couple more doors. Yeah, and, for uh, sure. That's just like, that's kind of just become his, uh, his goal. Yeah. And I, I think, I think what's really rare is that like, I think it's just in the NBA, it, you just have to be a little bit skeptical of everybody because I think like everyone's kind of like trying to, if they do stuff off the court, it's always like some kind of salesmanship to it. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you're the GM where your job is salesmanship. But like, I think with Masai, it's just like, it's, it's very genuine. When you see him like talk about these things, it's like, he has a genuine passion for doing this. He really does feel like, um, like he obviously has like, um, a, a, a sort of a greater calling that he has to sort of um, aspire to. And mm-hmm. whenever he's spoken about basketball, it really, he really does put it secondary. Like it, it's not about like him not caring about his job. It's just like, he kind of knows like mm-hmm. what it's, he sees the bigger picture and he really does act upon it. And like, it's, it's great that every single summer he devotes this, this time to, um, you know, expanding. It's not about like him trying to vie for a position here or a job here or this and that. It's like no ulterior motive beyond just like, you know, giving mm-hmm. opportunity. And like, that's really, really cool. You got to really respect that. Right. Absolutely. And I think like one of the things that, that we were, what well, we were privately talking about at work was just, uh, you know, is there a level of opportunism here where, you know, Masai hasn't had the best, uh, the best summer from a PR perspective, at least in terms of like, just, you know, like you said, people are kind of, are, are, are calling his character into question, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I mean, this is... He does this, you know, this is his 16th this is straight summer. Yeah. yeah, this is... Yeah, like, he, he... You know, he's had this foundation for a very long time. Right. He... This has been important to him for way longer than he's been a Raptors GM, way longer than he had designs on, uh, on, on training tomorrow, and talking about this stuff, doing these interviews, is definitely something that he has been doing for much longer than, than the moment in time right now where he could have used... Uh, used a nice story about himself right like this is mm-hmm. kind of just who he is yeah um all right on that note we're gonna take a quick break and then on the other side we will take uh some twitter questions I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Is your insurance company forcing you to go back to work when your doctors say you can't? If this sounds familiar, look no further than my law firm. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back to the second half of the show. We're taking your Twitter questions. Um, as always, hit us up at Raptors Republic. Um, first question comes from Assad. Is Kauai more West End district or East End? See, right, you're new to Toronto. Yeah, like I'm going to defer this one to you. <laughs> you. Have you have you encountered this East versus West bias? Actually, no, also, wait, hold no. on. Wait, which side are you living on, East or West? Don't reveal your location, but just... I am right in the middle. Oh, uh, mm, that's like I don't know what that actually like. I don't, see, I don't even understand like the demarcation. Like it's young. Me, okay, I'm west. You're west. west? Young. Yes. Just, yes. just west of Young. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm literally a block away from Young Street. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. West End. West End. Okay. Uh, is Kawhi more West End or East End? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna keep it real. I mean, like, obviously, I would like to claim Kawhi for West End, but he's more of an East End guy. He's, he's. Keeps to himself. He's more reserved. He sticks with his people. West End is always more aspirational and, you know, wants bigger lights, bigger cities, stuff like that. Whereas East End, you know, is just happy being East End. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, next one from Raps 12 wins left. Wow, already counting. Um, Ibaka, is Ibaka going to come off the bench? Uh, will this make him a greater factor with reduced minutes come playoff time? So, 
Um, there's some talk that maybe Ibaka comes off the bench as the backup center. Um, Nick Nurse kind of talked about how he sees his rosters having six starters. Uh, and, you know, he's talked to Ibaka about potentially coming off the bench, and Ibaka was apparently open to the idea. Now, everyone's open to the idea until they actually do it, and Ibaka's a pretty accomplished guy, and he started mm-hmm. his whole career. But um, I don't know. What do you what do you think about Ibaka coming off the bench as presumably the backup five? Yeah, I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense, to be honest, because of the way that the ro- roster is configured and what the starting lineup is going to look like. There's just like a... Like, who do you... It kind of depends. Like, do, do you start OG Anunobi then instead and just go, like, with, with wings at the four? Because I think there's definitely merit to doing that, especially especially based on matchups in the playoffs. But at the same time, like, why do you want OG or Danny or Kawhi wearing themselves down at the four for uh, for the regular season? At least, like, at least, like, you know, when there's not much of a reason to, as opposed to just having... Surge start, you don't, you're already kind of going into the season where you're ruffling a lot of feathers, right? Like, you're, mm. if you're going to do that, maybe do it a little bit, a little bit later. I think if there's anybody you take off the bench, it's probably JV, even though, you know, he adds wow. so, so much. It's just one of those things where I think because, like, if you want to develop a defensive identity with the starting lineup, you yeah, you probably, put Surge at five. You play you play surge five. That said, do you want to play surge five all season? Because like it's kind of the same reasoning with with OG or any of the wings at four. Like you don't really want to wear him down like that. I guess as an alternative, you can just not start him to to keep him fresh. Uh, but at the same time, you know you can kind of just only play him twenty minutes a game, especially if you just go to the OG matchup later. Like try a bunch of different things. There's there's no dearth of different wing things they could try out. So I don't think surge is going to play a lot of regular season minutes. Anyways, like I don't think, I just like it's just not really a big concern to me. I just don't think it's that big of an issue. At least not an issue where you necessarily have to take him off uh, off the bench. That said, if he comes into the season like as bad as he was in the in the playoffs and just like <laughs> a total zero on both ends, I think you obviously have to consider it just because like you need productivity from anybody in your start, starting lineup. But at the same, I want to give him a chance to not look like that guy. I think obviously, like nobody looked good in the playoffs. It was like kind of no. everybody's everybody's worst face so you know i don't really want to make full on judgments on the base of that i think he also had the hardest time transitioning to the new offense out of any of the uh the major rotation players he's just a guy that has tunnel vision he doesn't see that extra pass like you we, we've seen him so many times this season hesitate like in that that wing like do i make the swing or do i make uh the shot or do i drive and like in that hesitation time like the defense is rotated and you've lost something because he couldn't really figure that out. And that's something that he could figure out this season. It's something that maybe Nurse could potentially help him out with or at least try not to move him along his own timeline as fast as he does with everybody else. Maybe that's the thing. Like Maybe maybe that type of stuff is a reason why uh, why Nick isn't... Uh, maybe, maybe Nick wouldn't really want to start him because he doesn't really fit with that sort of program. I think if, if there's any sort of thing we're able to glean about what Nick's like Nick likes offensively it's not necessarily just about the threes it's kind of just like having that quick trigger decision making where everything's happening fast 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 like I remember even like I was when I would watch uh when I would watch folks on the bench last year like even like when Fred did stuff like Nick would kind of just like shake his head and be like oh like even if it ended up being the right play it's just kind of like he has a very very 
prescribed strong vision for what an offense could look like and like that good move is still like he wants he wants the great move and mm-hmm. like surge in that surge is kind of <laughs> tapped out with good moves you know like he just doesn't yeah, he, he peaks with he good has, yeah exactly like i don't know if the extra gear is really is really there for him whereas i think with a guy like even in siakam definitely og like we don't really like he could I'm so excited for OG next year. I think that's an underrated storyline. We have we're forgetting that a, you know, he is coming off reps. He is uh, coming into the season not coming off a torn ACL. He's going to have a full off season to actually train that he didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really interesting. Uh, so he can really really be molded. He's definitely like a modern. He has the the makings of a modern player. Uh, Danny, Kawhi, Kyle, obviously Siakam is some, somebody who I think Nick must be really, really excited to, to kind of work with in that regard, too. And, like, Serge just doesn't represent any of that stuff. So that could be that could be the thing at play there, which, you know, if that's the vision, I, like, you know, then that's the vision. I'm going to, like, kind of let it play out. Yeah. I, look, I think you make a lot of good, good points with the Serge thing. I don't think it's necessarily as big of a problem as you mentioned. But I think the bigger picture is, like, the Raptors just have, like, so many wings that if you don't establish Ibaka as a center quickly enough then mm-hmm. you're just not going to find enough minutes between the two three four spots to get everyone touches and maybe that speaks to the construction of the roster right like the raptors right now have a ton of twos and threes um and uh, enough centers but just like not a lot of power forwards and sort of they're mm-hmm. kind of making do right now and surge is kind of a make do power forward even though he's supposed to be a long-term solution um I think from just from that perspective, then like you probably just want to put him there because like let's say you put Surge at f- like four, then I, I mean like okay one of I think you put like what Danny Green comes off the bench then. Um, I don't know. Maybe even OG comes off the bench. Yeah, uh, which is just weird. Like I I don't I don't really quite see the need for that. Like I. I like I think on paper, if like if I was just playing like two K and like I had full control and everyone was still happy or whatever, like yeah, I would put Surge off the bench and put JB as a five and put wings around mm-hmm. them. But like over the course of regular season, I think you can mix mix and match. I just think that like early on, they really do have to establish with Surge that like look, we're gonna move you around, right? And you're gonna start yeah, some nights. You're not gonna start other nights. So we're gonna try a lot of things. It's not nothing against you personally, although we don't think you're a consistent day in day out starter. Which let's be real, you're not. Um, and see sort of how he he takes it. I think I, it will be a little bit difficult to sell him on that, just because it is a new coach and there's not mm-hmm. um, as much cachet from a guy like that to to sell the move. But also at the same time, like Serge has kind of also been a pretty good soldier throughout. And like when he was benched in the playoffs, no one really he didn't really say anything. Of course, he had like more turnovers than like actual uh, field goals for like a solid mm-hmm. five games. So you know uh, it is what it is, but. You know he's he's been a good soldier, and I think yeah, you try I mean, to approach it. There's nothing in his career to indicate that he yeah. would be malcontent. And he's got the money now, anything. so it's yeah. not going to affect his money at all. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's out of his prime as well. Like he's kind of had his heyday as like defensive player of the year. As like the third guy on those Oklahoma City teams. Obviously, I'm sure he'd like to add a title to that belt as well. So I think if. If, if you sell it to him from that perspective, which is kind of like what I said earlier, like we're going to have these little issues like this. Like there probably will be a little bit of unrest with things moving around. But at the same time, like you have to assume everybody on this team is very hungry to, to add that to, to their belt and to go to the next level. And that, if that can be a unifying force for them, then these, these things, uh, these things will hopefully just kind of smooth themselves over. Mm. 
Um, there's a lot of questions about Greg Monroe, which we've already touched on. Look, there's like a five-minute limit to any Greg Monroe talk. People are getting a little <laughs> bit too excited over this. Um, someone asked me, so the hoop wire asked, does Danny Green play a role in the rotation? That I think that's crazy. Like Danny, Danny Green is a rotation player. Yeah, um, Danny Green is starting the playoffs. He is yeah. very good. He is like a... The three and D swingman with title experience. This maybe he meant like. Maybe he meant what role does Danny Green play in the rotation? Because I, yeah, I think maybe. that's probably a little bit more interesting. Like, do you think he plays more than twenty five minutes per game, for example? Just because there's such probably, a glut of wings. Probably right in that range because okay. there are so many wings. I think he's on most nights and like crunch time, cr- crunch time nights. He's a closer because he's a two way guy, uh, and he pro- he will probably pro- provide stability. I think. I think uh, he's also going to be. It, it would, I think, given everything that's going to, the all the moving parts, it will behoove the Raptors to make sure that Danny Green has an important role so that he can be an important locker room voice. True. Because that's, that's kind of point. something that he's been able to do in the past. He's very vocal. He's kind of like a consensus figure, at least at least from what I what I glean and like. I haven't been in the Spurs locker room, just but just like in and around like all the things that you hear about Danny Green. I think because, you know, taking him in or out, unless he like is, unless he's really really bad for some reason, mm. you might as well just make sure that he has a strong identity on the team so that he can have weight in the locker room because that's that's going to be kind of an interesting th- thing to look at, especially with Demar gone, and Kyle is not that guy. He was tried to build himself into that guy. He's not. He's not very local. He's more of a lead by example type of guy. He's. You know. I think his teammates like him a lot, but he's not this guy that really speaks out. Uh, Fred was sort of starting to become that person, so you know it would be important for him to have a good season, so he can also continue to have that cachet. Uh, he's definitely more of a natural leader. I think Danny kind of has that 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 charisma and ability to from. From, from what I've heard so just based on that like I think it would just be smart if the Raptors were like hey yeah we're just we're just gonna start Danny Green mm. and he's gonna be that guy yeah and it doesn't it doesn't really hurt I mean he's like everything you would ask for from a complimentary guy I don't think he's like as consistent of a shooter as he was in the past like he was like you know every year like 40 some percent um I think nowadays like last year he was a little bit more inconsistent and you know his role kind of fluctuated a little bit but like on a team like the raptors yeah, i completely agree like he's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna get minutes for sure okay all right next one from mark is a math teacher now congrats um christmas tree uh, christmas tree christmas game against the celtics or against the spurs First off, do the Raptors actually get a Christmas game this year? And is it is it kind of sad that the Raptors fans are so so hung up over something like this? But Personally, I, I, I like be... having Christmas to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's really one of the funny things where, like, every media member is like, oh, I don't know. I don't, do the Raptors <laughs> really need a Christmas game? I don't know, because I kind of like seeing my family during Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think they should have a Christmas game this year. I think, you know, they're the one seed coming off making a huge blockbuster trade. They're the second best team in the East at the very least. And, uh, you know, they are due. They made a big uproar about it last year. They're going to be a big storyline. They made the biggest move of the offseason, other than obviously LeBron signing with the Lakers. But as far as transaction move goes, like that's they got the guy that was on the trade block. Uh, 
there's yeah there's very very little reason for them not to have a christmas game and i really really hope that it's on the road <laughs> wow um yeah i mean look it would be uh it's gonna be a lot of it's gonna be a lot of hate for Kawhi. i think there's like the image of like spurs fans is like Ah, oh, they're they're just so classy, just like the organization. You know, they treat everyone with respect. Like, nah, no. Nah. But here's the thing: I don't think I don't think the uh, the NBA can afford to give a Christmas lot to the Spurs. Wow, wow, that's right. They have no real stars. Um, uh, yeah, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> like, they're not like they're like a fringe playoff team that like you know they're only like seven or six seed, and uh, you can't really. <sighs> I mean, listen, DeMar DeRozan teams don't mm. get Christmas wow. games. That's right. People just don't tune in to see DeMar DeRozan pump fake his way into a foul. It's just, it's just true. I mean, we know this. We've experienced this. We, this is the reason these fans have a chip on their shoulders, because DeMar DeRozan does not get that type of play in this league. He just doesn't. He's not that player. So, I mean, I, oh, don't, I don't think the Spurs are getting a Christmas game. I, this is something I'm really curious about. Like, I just don't know who it's going to be. I think, I think Toronto versus LA would be a really interesting Christmas game. Because sure. The Kawhi angle? Here's the, the thing, the Kawhi thing is just going like to give the, the Raptors whole, like, relevance LeBron all year. Rico sort of thing. Like, it's yeah. kind of, there's a lot of different different factors at play. And it's also, like, it's not like, it's not like the Lakers versus Golden State is, like, the matchup that you pencil in. Like, I think out of deference to the Rockets, you probably want to make that, like, the Western Conference matchup. And then Philly versus Celtics just has so much juice that you probably want to make that one the Christmas matchup on on the eastern conference side as well yeah you, I know, it's kind of weird because like usually i think usually this like the interconference thing is like saved for things that could potentially be matchups but it's also occasionally saved for that like runner-up matchup thing you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i don't know if yeah. that makes makes sense but like that like the the it's it's almost like if if the nba had like a tournament consolation bracket for for the for for the teams that get knocked out early, like that would like Lakers versus Raptors is like a potential matchup, and sometimes they have Christmas matchups that are like that thing. Yeah, yeah look, the, I don't see why we. Why, I don't see why not. Why I don't see why not. I think yeah. Uh, obviously, the Knicks are gonna get a Christmas game. Uh, the Sixers and the Celtics are gonna get one. So like, you, you, you need one more from the East, right? Um, just make it the Raptors. Come on, man. This is just look. Honestly, if if it's just for nothing else for Raptors fans to like stop complaining about it, just do it for that. Just do it for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh man, there's so many Greg Monroe questions. This is wild. There's so many yeah. Greg Monroe I mean, questions. Defer everybody to the first five minutes of the podcast, unless you know, unless there's actually like, is there is there like a is there something we didn't touch on? No, I, I. This is the thing. People just keep asking about like, okay, the Raptors center rotation. We talked about that with the search thing. So, mm-hmm. now nah, forget it. All right, this one from Marcos. What are the odds of Demar Derozan making the All Star team as a starter, reserve, or neither? Um, I yeah, think, I think all- Demar Demar's made his last All Star game. Uh, wow, willing to bold. Why? Why? It's like look at the look at the West. Prove him. <laughs> I mean, we should change prove like it'll be like the funniest thing. We change prove him to like prove um. With the U instead of the E, with the, uh, it, the second, uh, the second word. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how Raptors fans are gonna feel about that one, but I mean, listen, uh, it's kind of like there's gonna be this emotional thing for a while, but after a while, I think, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like. It's kind of like the Raptors broke up with that boyfriend where, like, you show him in, in, in pictures, and then you're like, he looks better in real life. And you can kind of, like, you just don't have to do that anymore. You know, and I think that'll yeah. be... Yeah. 
<laughs> wow, that's 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 shockingly accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I really do kind of feel that kind of relief a little bit, but also like it's also kind of weird though, like because like the Raptors like broke up with Demar, right? So like. It's kind of weird to constantly like look at your ex and then be like, well, you know, this and this and then like, I mean, it's uh, hypocritical for me to put it down to say this, but like, you know, like to like at this point to put Demar down is kind of just like he's not even on the team anymore, so we don't really no, have yeah, to go there true. for that. Um, that being said, that, you know, jokes Donovan are jokes. Mitchell's so probably gonna make the All Star game over him. That's yeah, that's, you know, it's just there's. Think, what are you gonna do? Like, I'd rather see Donovan West. Mitchell in there anyway. I'm not gonna lie. Like, what? I'd rather see Donovan Mitchell in an All Star game. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, what are you gonna do? Like, there's there's James Harden, Paul George, Kevin Steph, Durant, Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, Dame. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, there's just too many. Like, okay, look, Jimmy so Butler. Like, I'm just going through like the the guard slash forwards that 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 made the uh, the Western All Stars last year. Steph, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Paul George was like a replacement guy. Like, yeah. Is, like when, when Paul not, George becomes a replacement guy, like there's just not yeah. much that you're that you can do about it. And like, like who's who's the guy last year? Devin Booker. Devin Booker's probably gonna be a oh, year God. better, and you know the Suns aren't gonna be good, but they're better than last year. And like that, like he still probably won't make it because it's that stacked. Yeah, and that's oh, the and thing. by the way, LeBron James. <laughs> oh yeah, and LeBron's <laughs> the going there. Conference. So not Paul George is like, you know. Even with injuries, like not making, yeah, it's just yeah. I I, I don't know unless unless Demar ends up back in the West or, you know, I don't want to say maybe maybe not for the rest of his career because like you never really know what is going to happen in the NBA. Like True. there could just be a whole shift and maybe one day the West isn't as stacked, but or 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 Demar goes back to the East. But as of right now, it just I just don't see the avenue for for it to happen. Like so many things would have to break right, and then like you'd also have to like, you know that like. I don't, You'd have to have only forwards getting hurt. Mm. You know? Like, that would be the only way to make it happen. Like, if Paul George is, like, the guy getting in and he gets hurt, while Jimmy Butler is, is also hurt, and then, you know, probably, like, figuring another injury just for, for good measure, then maybe he kind of sneaks in. Like, Mike Conley is a guy who, in the East, would have made a whole bunch of all-star teams. Yeah, and, for like, sure. is just, you know, gonna end up he's never gonna like, make one no it's over yeah. for him yeah yeah like he's just not and he is an awesome player and would have like been way more well regarded if he played in the east like that's just kind of the advantage that you get when you play in the eastern conference mm. i think that was also a little bit deep down like part of the reason why demar was so upset it's just like that opportunity to be demar DeRozan kind of like ended in toronto like yeah yeah it's true it's yeah. true right which you know it, it sucks but it is what it is okay last one from P. Kelly, make a prediction. Is Kyle Lowry an all-star this year? Ooh, this is interesting. Or is anyone other than on the Raptors an all-star other than Kawhi? Okay, like, do you want to just do this quickly in our heads, like figure out who who are the guards and like, kind of go from there? Okay, sure. Um, like, for the East, I think right? Kyle could probably like kind of bubble himself in. Yeah, I think like, he, he. I think he should. Even last year, yeah. he wasn't even that impressive for the first half of the year, and he still yeah, made it. Yeah, he kind of just like figured it out. He made it. Uh, he was probably like one of the last selections on the uh, team, probably. but probably still like I think it was a fair pick for him to be on there. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, if the Raptors are a two seed, it's going to be kind of hard to not have them have two All Stars. Look, I'm just going to say Goran Dragic was on this team last year. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know, pro- probably going to make it, probably going to make it. He's going to make it. It's not yeah. a question of, like, there's some, like, underwhelming 
um, murmur that JV might make the All-Star game, which, like, you guys are drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much. A little bit too much. But then again, I mean, also, Drummond made the team last year. Horford yeah. was his... Uh, Horford's a better player for sure, but it's not well, exactly Horford's a flashy player. Of, yeah, he's like not the type. He's the type of guy who would make my All Star team, but like right. also like it's surprising to me that he makes like the conventional All Star team. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really quite see JV making that leap, but also like there's yeah. a lot of possessions freed up now that DeRozan's not here, and like and like Kawhi's Nick gonna is take... just gonna be force feeding him, yeah. turning him into like his his uh his little project so if, if that goes well too i don't know that else well maybe like we'll to see what jv worked on this off season true he came back much better uh much better this season so there is that as well yeah look if jv can defend like just continue to take improvements uh take steps towards like his just improving his defense like you know he can become a if he honestly if he just kind of like play 30 minutes a game his numbers will look good enough it'll probably be like 18 and 11 18 and 12 maybe with like a block and you're like wow that that guy's on one of the top two teams in the east why not give him an all-star appearance yeah that's true that's right? true maybe he gets in over kyle like that would be kind of that would be sense. weird that would be that weird would but be also weird. i think kyle Lowry would appreciate that i think he just wants to go golfing and stuff oh my god i think kyle would love to not make the all-star team yeah well it's I, so funny I, that's like such an interesting difference between him and damar is like the the best friends duo it was actually so funny because on the court and like their personas are so incredibly different yeah Maybe, maybe they, you know what? Maybe they adapted their games to each other. You know? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Or, it gives me some hope for the Kawhi Kyle partnership. Like, as long as somebody's like, you kind of need that one person to filter and, like, be willing to introduce them to each other while they, like, look at each other from across the room and, like, just kind of, like, stare at the floor. Mm. But if you kind of make that transition, I think they'd get along pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Sirit, thank you so much for making this great appearance on the podcast. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, officially, finally, just at SB Nation, which is great. So, yeah. Yeah, no, seriously, it's um, definitely check out Siren on SB Nation. The last uh, every single piece that you write is uh, is pure fire. That's that's not conjecture. That's I that's, appreciate that. That's pure <laughs> facts right there. So, um, also on, on Twitter. Yeah, Damon Triller on Twitter. There not long for the world. Honestly, are you even that big of a fan of Damian Lillard? I'm not. I've, yeah. like, never really cheered for him that much. I just kind of like the name, and, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I was young. Yeah. We were all young once. Okay. All right. That does it for the <laughs> podcast. Right, we'll be back next week to, to talk <laughs> more about Greg Monroe. <laughs> <laughs>